One of my most cherished childhood memories, and this will come as no surprise to anyone who knows me even a little bit well, is the supper call. At the end of a long day, that meal was so good. Now, on the prairies, where I come from, it, the order of the meals is this. It's breakfast, then dinner, then supper. Over here on the West Coast, we like to say breakfast, then lunch, then dinner. I can still hear my mom vividly open the door and step out of the house and call, supper time. And if we were on the yard, uh, you know, we could usually hear her fairly well. Sometimes if we were near the house, she would just open up the window and call out to us that it was supper time. But there were times when we were either near the barn or out in the field, and she would need to send someone, someone that was either helping her or someone that she was near enough to get and say, would you run to the barn and get people in for supper or jump on your motorcycle and go to the field and call everyone in. Our daughter, who lives uh, on an acreage with her family, she actually has a bell that she uh, fastened to the door frame of their porch, and she uses that to call her family in for meals uh, when they're far away. She rings the bell. So listen, my mom was an incredibly hard worker, and she made fantastic meals. She, she prepped, the table was set, there was a place for everyone, and in response to her call, we just needed to show up, we needed to wash up, and we needed to pray up and then eat up. And by the way, uh, I don't think that I ever missed a meal, surprise, surprise, because they were just so compelling the way my mom uh, prepared them. And I just love food way too much. Uh, the school bell, on the other hand, well, that's another story. But salvation actually works the same way. King Jesus told a story that there is a meal, in fact, a very special meal, a banquet, waiting to be had by all of those who will respond to his invitation to eat with him in his kingdom. And so he extends a call, it's known as the gospel call, which is described actually in quite detail by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 10. So if you have your Bible there uh, this morning, I would, or today, I would encourage you to turn to Romans chapter 10 and verse 14 as we continue in our series that Pastor Matt began last week called Jesus Saves. And so while you're turning to Romans 10, I actually want to go back a couple of pages to Romans 8, verse 30, which says this, and those, he, and those whom he predestined, that's what Pastor Matt talked about last week, those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. A couple of other things that we're going to look at in sort of this order of salvation in addition to a few others as we come upon Easter and Lent starting this week. So the call, the gospel call, is a critical piece to salvation. Back to Romans chapter 10 and verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are, to they, how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. 
But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So we see in the gospel call and what we just read here, there's kind of a two-way nature to this call. There's uh, a call is given and there is a response. In order for a person to be saved by God, they must respond to his call, to his invitation. A great meal has been prepared and what we have to do is show up to that meal in the right way. But you see, our response to the call of God in our lives is also a call. That's what scripture says. In fact, the verse that directly precedes verse 14 of Romans 10, verse 13 says, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I don't know about you, but I love sometimes just going down to a lake, uh, especially when you're camping, you know, it's usually by a lake, and, and getting up early in the morning, early in the morning, uh, when the lake is the most still, the most calm. And you either sit on the dock, or you might go out fishing by yourself, or going for just a, a paddle in the canoe, whatever it is. And you just stop in the quietness of the lake, and the calmness of the lake, and you can hear the birds, the loons, calling to one another. One will call, and another will echo the call, and they go back and forth. That's kind of like the gospel call. God calls, we call out to him, and it goes back and forth. There's a two-way echo to this. But in order for all of that to happen, there's a series of other things that must happen. It's like a domino effect. So if you start with the last domino, which is a person, actually it's not the last, it's really the beginning of a beautiful life, but in this order of salvation, we talk about somebody being saved. The saving grace of God through Jesus, in order for that to happen, they must call on him, like we've said, and believe in him by faith and obedience. And in order for that to happen, they must hear. In order for people to hear, someone must tell them. In order to tell them, someone must be sent. So that's our text, and I want to actually pull out of here uh, three things uh, that this text uh, talks about in the gospel call, and we're going to go through those in order. The first is the message of salvation. What is it that we are to hear and then believe and respond to? Second is the messenger of salvation. That is the, the preacher, the proclaimer of the good news, this message of salvation. The messenger, who, who is this person and what should they do? And third, the method of bringing the message of salvation. How are we to proclaim this incredible good news. So the gospel call, the message, the messenger, and the method. So let's look at the message of salvation. There's two streams to the message of salvation. There's the call of God to the unsaved person. This is the gospel, the good news call. It's a holy God calling to a sinner, someone in need of salvation. And then there's the call of the unsaved person to God, it's sinful people like me calling upon the Lord. It's our response to the gospel. So let's look first at the call of God to the unsaved person. And again, within this call, there are two streams. First of all, there's the effective call. I like to refer to this as the warming work of the Spirit of God. The warming work of the Holy Spirit. This is the call of God that only he himself can do. This is a call directly to our heart. I can't do that. Only God can. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, But you are a chosen race, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Only he can do that. Paul said to the church in Corinth and Thessalonica, he said this, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ. God calls us to that. To Thessalonica, for you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. That's the effective call. And then there's the general call, which is the verbal declaration of the gospel. This is our part. It is to tell of God's work, the good news, to sinners' ears. It is not our message, it's God's message, but it comes through us. God speaks to the heart. And we have to speak to a person's head so that they hear it through their ears. He uses us to get the message out. Uh, Paul, here in Romans, talks about Isaiah. And Isaiah is having this conversation with God. And he said, hey, like God, this is your word. And we're getting out. Not everybody believes it. So it's God and Isaiah. In, an example from the New Testament is Jesus and John the Baptist getting the word out about Jesus. Today, it's the Holy Spirit and, and Eldon getting the word out. So what is the gospel? What are we to proclaim to unsaved people? Number one, we need to say that we are sinners. You see, good news, which is what the gospel literally means, is only good in light of the bad. But really, what helps us isn't bad, is it? So there's this contrast going on. Just as a a bright color is more visible by putting a dark color behind it first, creating a high contrast, just as reflective material, like uh, let's say on your jacket that you wear to go running in the evening, just as reflective material stands out and is only visible in the dark, so too good news has more clarity with the, the bad news, so to speak, that is layered in behind it, which means that it needs to be put there first. But people usually want to go to the the good news first, right? Like, you know, the good news, bad news, jokes that are out there. There's so many of them, 95% not worth repeating, but I like this one. So my wife came home and said she had some good news and some bad news about the car. I said, what's the good news? She said, the airbag works. Not many want the bad news first, right? So my wife comes out of the office the other day and she said she has some good news and some bad news about my computer. And I said, well, what's the bad news? She said, I spilled coffee on the keyboard. But the good news is that it's all under control. What's the bad news? It's not that we have just some imperfections, maybe even what we would call glaring imperfections or that we made a mistake, or whatever kind of toned down or watered down phrase that you want to use about our sinful nature and our sinful actions. The bad news is that we are actually dead in our transgressions. We have no spiritual life apart from Christ. Our hearts are desperately wicked. Paul said there is nothing good that lives within our sinful nature, that every single person falls short of God's perfect holiness and his glory every single time. There is no one who is righteous. No, not one. That's the bad news. 
And the second part of that is that there is a penalty for our sin. Scripture tells us that the wages of sin, the, the, the just payment or punishment for our sin is death. And friends, this is, this is dire. Hell is real. It is something that we need to come to terms with and embrace. But third, now the news gets good. That Jesus loves us. This is what we need to tell people. That, that God loves us and Jesus paid the penalty of that sin. I can still hear, you know, growing up, uh, listening often to Crusades by Billy Graham. And, you know, on the old black and white dial there. And he would always say so emphatically. And he would just hit his Bible as he said. He repeated over and over, God loves you. I can't do it in that deep, booming voice that he has, but it's like, God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. With God, it is Valentine's every day. He loves us. Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And he brought us that life when he bore our sins, my sin, in his flesh on the cross, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God. While we were still enemies, Christ died for us. He took our place on that cross and bore the wrath of God that we deserve by dying in our place. That is such good news. One day, an old classmate of a certain judge appeared before him in his courtroom the lives of these two men had obviously taken a very different turn and the judge, this man's friend, was heartbroken when he saw his friend standing before him in his courtroom. And he had such love and compassion for his friend and he desperately wanted to set him free on the spot to let him go without penalty, but he couldn't do that because he was under oath to protect and to uphold the law. He had to administer justice so after contemplating, he declared his friend guilty and he levied a very hefty fine which was required by the law that he knew that his friend could not pay, essentially subjecting him to jail. And then he did something remarkable. He came around from the bench. He wrote a check for the fine that had been issued and he told his friend, take this, you're free to go. Now we enter the other stream of the gospel message. What else must the gospel message contain? It is the call of the unsaved to God. It is our response to what God has freely done for us. And that is that we must respond in repentance and belief. And there's three things within this. We need to confess, we need to believe, and we need to obey. We must confess, first of all, that Jesus is Lord, that he is King Jesus, who is at the head of the table, and, and he will only admit us to his banquet in his kingdom, dressed in the right clothes, not our filthy rags, but dressed in his righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus. 
few weeks ago, I encountered a man uh, living in his van uh, in Agassiz. So I very carefully went up to the vehicle and I made sure I wouldn't uh, startle him and I knocked lightly onto his window and asked him when he rolled down his window if he needed some food or other kind of help. And he actually had quite a nice setup in there and while he appreciated my concern very much, he said to me, while he couldn't afford a house, he could afford to live in his van and he could pay his bills and that he had plenty of food and he also had places where he could shower and clean up and wash his clothes and that kind of thing. And I said, oh great. And, and so it turned into a conversation and he actually turned this conversation to the state of our times. He started speaking of course about COVID and about politics and he also said that he believed that the world would end soon. Well, there's an open door so I went through and I started talking about Jesus, that <laughs> because we can't do this on our own and when the world ends and we want to spend eternity with God, we need to do so through Jesus. And now this spiritual conversation turned so bizarre that I can't really even begin to describe it to you. Uh, like I've shared the gospel with people many times, but this was, uh, this was sort of in a new category. And I didn't really know how to properly share the gospel other than to just say and keep repeating what I knew in that moment. And that was from Romans 10 verse 13 in our text here and our chapter and also from Acts 4 verse 12. And I just said, listen, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls upon Jesus will be saved. And I said, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And then he would go at it with me again about a different, really bizarre view of Jesus. And I would just tell him, look, it is about Jesus. Call upon the Lord Jesus. And he would go at me again. And, and I told him one more time, I said that it's all about the Lord Jesus. I, I said, listen, just call on him and he will answer. The real Lord Jesus will answer you. That's all I could do in that moment. So we need to confess the name because there's salvation in the name of Jesus. But we also must confess our sin. We must admit our wrongdoing. And then we need to turn from our sin and leave it behind. And then that's the next thing is to, is to believe because belief is actually not just about what we say. It's about also what we do. John 3.18 goes on to say uh, after John 3.16 and 17 I already quoted. It says, whoever believes in him, in Jesus, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of of the only Son of God. Believing in his name, believing, means that we believe in our heart what he did. That God raised Jesus from the dead after he paid for our sin. He's resurrected back to life. Our text says that belief comes by hearing. And so when we hear the gospel, we must have faith in the divinity, the deity of Jesus. And we need to trust in his power and his nearness to, nearness to help us and to be convinced that he exists and what he says is true. Like I said, belief, faith, is not just a matter of words. It's a matter of action. The call of sinful man to a holy God must include also obedience. Our text says, that we must obey the gospel. We must live like we believe it. Jesus 
says this in Matthew chapter 7. He goes, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. We need to come in obedience, seeking the will of the Father only. There must be submission to King Jesus because faith without works, according to his will, is dead. Without fruit, without evidence of a saved life, we have no faith. My grandson, Caleb, five years old, he called me yesterday. I don't think he even knew that I was preaching. And so he said, Papa, he was so excited. He called me in the afternoon at an unusual time. And, and I, I actually ignored it because I was busy working on my sermon. And, uh, and so then our daughter messaged and said, Caleb actually has something really important he wants to tell you. Okay, so I, I called him back on Messenger video. And, and he says, Papa, he goes, listen, we can't turn our heart from God because that would be to forsake him. But we should turn our heart to God so that he can guide us. And I was just astounded. Caleb is five. And he has this down. This is what God wants. He wants us to turn our heart to him after he warms, us, warms our heart. Because to turn away from him, which is the opposite of repentance, would be to forsake him. But when we turn our heart to God, he can guide us and he will show us the right way. Oh man, that was a beautiful and a proud moment in my life. And the last piece of the gospel message when we do all of that is that we will receive forgiveness of our sins and the assurance of salvation when we do all of that. The, the apostle John said, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God will forgive when we confess. And then he went on in four chapters later to say, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, who believe in Jesus, that you may know that you have eternal life. There is forgiveness and there is assurance. And these two things, the effective call of God and the general call of God, working together is a beautiful thing. Jesus and John, the Holy Spirit and Eldon, the Holy Spirit and put, put your name in there. Our job is to take what is his and make it known to point other people to the author and the perfecter of our faith, Jesus, that he might increase and that we might decrease, like John the Baptist said. So let's talk about the messenger of salvation. This is the second part of the message. The gospel call is Jesus' call, but again, it comes through us. So the messenger is important. Again, to the church uh, in Thessalonica, Paul said, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. And this he called you, to this he called you through our gospel, Paul said, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said through our gospel. Paul owned it. 
The messenger is critical to the gospel call. Now, Paul calls the messenger a preacher, and that scares a lot of people. But a preacher is simply means one who proclaims or one who declares the gospel. That's a preacher. What I'm doing here today is really more teaching, but it also includes preaching because I just proclaimed the gospel to you. And so Paul, quoting Isaiah in chapter 52, said, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach, declare, proclaim the good news. Now when Paul wrote this, I would imagine that he probably had Pheidippides in mind who ran from ancient Marathon, Greece, to Athens, Greece, to deliver the good news that Greece was victorious over Persia in 490 BC. Pheidippides, a soldier, ran 25-ish miles straight, flat out. He delivered the message of victory to the magistrates, and then he collapsed and he died right at their feet. There's a couple of things that we learn from our text about the messenger of good news. Number one, they're sent. We do not work on our own. It is not our message. It is God's through us. We are servants. We are obedient soldiers who literally take orders from our commanding officer. But to be sent means to be equipped, commissioned, sent by the Holy Spirit and also by the church. And by the way, at Central, this is one of our core values, to be equipped and to be sent on mission so that we can declare the good news. A sent messenger is prepared. We're in a battle. We need to be ready and willing to go at a moment's notice. We must be fluent in the gospel. We must be prayed up because Jesus said in John 6, no one can come to the Father unless No one can come to me, Jesus said, sorry, unless the Father who sent me draws him. So we need to be pleading and praying with the Father for the unsaved. The parable of the persistent widow applies here. Sometimes it takes years, 30, 40, 50 years, a lifetime of praying. Sometimes we won't see the results in our lifetime, but we don't stop praying. A servant is sent And a servant is also sacrificial. It takes sacrifice to pray that many years. But the ultimate sacrifice is giving our life. A a question I had to ask myself and that I want to ask you is, would you give your life for the gospel? Would you give your life to deliver the good news? Literally your life. You see, a messenger is active, not standing still. They're ready and obedient at a moment's notice. That takes sacrifice. Paul said, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. That takes sacrifice. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. And that takes sacrifice when people sneer at you and maybe mock you for your belief. Paul said, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. That takes sacrifice. Are we bold and yet beautiful? That takes sacrifice. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. 
And Peter said we need to always be prepared to give everyone an answer who asks us to give the reason for the hope that we have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. It takes sacrifice to share the gospel with honesty, integrity, with pure motives and a clear conscience. The John the Baptist said, he must, he must increase and I must decrease. That takes sacrifice. And eventually John, too, lost his life. Would you give yours? Finally, let's look at the method used to bring the message of salvation, the method. So, question. Should we open the door, stand on the sidewalk, and call supper time, come to the banquet? Or should we slide open the window and give the invitation to those who are near? Should we send someone to the field on a, on a motorcycle? I think I'm in for that one. Or should we send a text message or use WhatsApp or Instagram or Facebook or YouTube? The, the answer is yes. We need to do whatever works. Paul said all things to all people, whatever works. You know, I'm a food guy. Sometimes bacon and eggs or cereal and toast for dinner works. Sometimes a lasagna or a beef dip for breakfast works. And some of you just said, that is so wrong. No, it isn't. It's your preference. It's your preference. And there is no room in the kingdom of God for preference, only for deference, which means to submit to King Jesus and to his mission. We need to do what works. When I was growing up, I remember church fights, bitter fights about music. How dare we bring drums and guitars and all of these amplified instruments into God's house? I mean, what's wrong with the piano and our voices? Nothing. But there's also nothing wrong with drums. And it spoke to a whole new generation. And I served in ministry for a while with my uncle and he told me that he used to ask these old, you know, conservative, legalistic Mennonite farmers, and I can say that because I come from that heritage. He would say, listen, why don't you go back to harvesting your crops with a sickle? Like cut down the grain by hand and then beat out the grain by hand on a threshing floor. And they're like, what? He said, okay, I'll even go as far as to allow you a stooking machine mechanized to cut down the grain and a threshing machine. They're like, no way. That, we'll, we'll never go back to that. Ah. And all of a sudden, those closed cab, you know, air-conditioned, GPS-controlled combines, high-tech, didn't seem so bad. In fact, they were a whole lot more effective. Listen, the message, the message of the gospel never changes changes. The fact that we're harvesting grain never changes, but our methods have to. We have to adjust to the time that we live in, always. We have to do what works. The fields are ripe unto harvest, and so I want to give you a few guidelines regarding method. We need to make the gospel accessible so that people can hear. It has to be verbal. Our, our text, these few verses that we read from Romans, actually use the word hearing the most. Four times it's repeated. Hearing. Hearing is a critical 
uh, aspect of the gospel from somebody coming to faith. They must be able to understand. So that means it needs to be clear. Don't be wordy. Don't beat around the bush. Don't use Christianese language. Stick to the language of scripture. Faith comes by hearing the word of Christ. And so we need to be clear and we need to stay centered on Christ. Know your context. You see on the coast, as I referred to at the beginning, if you don't clarify dinner as the evening meal, someone who has recently moved from the prairies will probably show up at noon. We need to be beautiful. That means we need to be gentle, humble, respectful. Our words need to be seasoned with salt because it's more palatable. (laughs) We need to make it interesting You see, many people will stumble over the gospel itself. They will stumble over Jesus. They will find the message of the cross foolish, but they shouldn't stumble over us. We need to be faithful. Don't deviate into disputable matters or secondary issues. Stay biblical on core issues like the cross of Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection. We need to be relational. Uh, The gospel saves people, so we need to be you know, personable, no matter what the medium is. And I, I want to I say, I find it disturbing how impersonal, how demeaning, and how cruel people can be on social media and other forms of media for that matter. Please, please, I, I exhort you, be only gracious. Share things that are gracious and well-seasoned. And we should be concise. And with that, we need to transition to a conclusion You know, relationships take time, but we can be succinct in sharing the gospel. So I want to ask you a couple of questions as we wind up. Have you, first of all, have you responded to the gospel call on your life? Peter wrote, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Jesus said, so you must be ready, Matthew 24, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So today, if you have heard his voice, do not harden your heart. Respond. So did you hear the voice of the Spirit call to you today? Are you saved? Will you respond to what Jesus did for you in faith, belief, obedience, and trust? Second question, if you are saved and you're committed, are you then committed to bring the gospel call, the message of salvation to the unsaved? What is your excuse for not opening your mouth to boldly declare the mystery of God as, you know, fearlessly as you should? And and you know what, listen, it doesn't matter where you land theologically, doctrinally, on the differences or the nuances within this doctrine of salvation. It doesn't matter because the gospel must be preached. Paul said, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Is that our cry? Nicky Gumbel, the author of Alpha, probably one of the greatest gospel tools of our time, he said this. The words of Jesus totally changed my life when I was 18 years old. Since then I have watched with joy and often astonishment the power of his message to transform the lives of other people. Nicky says, between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming, we have been given the task of taking this life-changing message of the gospel to the whole world. 
And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come, said Jesus. Gumbel goes on. He says, the words of the gospel are powerful and life-changing. The apostle Paul wrote, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Never give up, says Gumbel, on the proclamation of the gospel. You have the great privilege of being entrusted with words that have the potential to change people's lives in a radical way for this life and into eternity. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And how will they be saved in him? And how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But not all have obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that your words are eternal. Thank you for the immense privilege of being able to use the most powerful words in the world to see people's lives transformed by you, Jesus. Help me, help us to take every opportunity to get this message out to as many people as possible. Would you please, Lord Jesus, open doors for the gospel in the communities where you have placed us. And as we reach out in the next weeks to some of our uh, essential workers, our frontline workers, would you please open doors there too? And O Lord of the harvest, I earnestly ask that you send laborers into your harvest. For the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And when you call, would you please find us faithful? In Jesus' name, amen.